Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and man... Do we have a jam-packed show for you this week, including a special guest. He's an outfielder for the Birmingham Barons. It'll be Alex Call. Alex shares what his journey has been like from dealing with numerous injuries in 2017 to having a really good season with Winston-Salem and Birmingham in 2018. Also, how Alex uses launch angle and exit velocity data to make swing adjustments. So if you want to know how ball players use the new TrackMan data, you will learn about that later in the show. We'll also discuss Rick Renteria's bad week, preview the upcoming twin series, and highlight the best performances down on the farm with the minor league report and answer your questions in P.O. Sox. But first, a much-needed shot in the arm in excitement was delivered on Sunday when the Chicago White Sox announced that Michael Kopech will be called up and make his debut in front of the home crowd this upcoming Tuesday against the Minnesota Twins. What should we expect from Kopech when he arrives? Well, joining me to discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I guess after his last start against Louisville and the ESPN special, Rick Hahn decided that Michael Kopech has checked off enough boxes to be called up. How excited are you about this news? I'm very excited. And, you know, it could have happened, you know, two, three, four, seven weeks earlier. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, when you look at last year, it's it, it's kind of along the same lines as Lucas Giolito and Rinaldo Lopez, both of which were... You know, later than they could have been, but ultimately, you know, no worse for the wear. So, you know, I'm just happy it happened because, you know, as longer it goes on, longer it gets closer to September and the end of the minor league season, you can think like, well, maybe they're not. Maybe they're going to go for the extra, extra year of team control. I just couldn't see how they could tell Kopech that to his face, um, you know, given the season he's having, given how he could have, you know, he was one of the five most talented starters opening day this past year. So if, you know, he ties together seven to 10 good starts at the end of a season and, you know, is not near any kind of innings limit or, you know, is not looking any worse for the wear and Sox say, nah, you haven't earned it. I think that would be really tough to justify. And so I'm glad to see them, you know, not go for the super, uh, you know, business friendly or cheap, however you want to spin it. I'm glad they didn't go that route. I'm glad they went for the people oriented route, both, you know, Kopech and the fans. It's cheap. The service time game is just being cheap. That's, yeah, that's but my point. Fans are, yeah, I, it's cheap, but, you know, fans are really into it for some reason. At least some segment of fans are really into it. So I don't, I don't get that. But no, it's nice to see that um, 
it's a people pleaser by and large. In the last month, spanning his spanning seven starts, Michael Kopech has thrown 44 innings, so averaging more than six innings per start, with an ERA of 1.84, 59 strikeouts to four walks. And I've watched those starts, Jim. And like we've been saying it for months now, Kopech is just too good for AAA, especially with the stuff that he has. With that said, now being promoted to the major leagues, a whole different animal for him awaits. What should fans expect from Michael Kopech? Well, I'm hoping he throws strikes first, you know, that he allows himself, if he's going to get torched, to get torched. Because, you know, this is the season with, you know, really no consequences. They're going to lose, at least they're on pace to lose 104 games still. Um, And... You know, that's the advantage of having this kind of season is that you can suck. And, that, you know, aside from, you know, maybe fans panicking a little bit or, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, either the media panicking, jumping on that or ignoring you, you know, there's really no ramifications for doing so. So I'd like to see him attack the strike zone, see how good his stuff is against major league hitters, what they do to it. And, you know, if uh, it turns out that his fastball isn't special in the majors or that special without a good changeup or without slider, if he doesn't have the slider command, you know, then he can adjust to it and he can, he can learn. And I think that's how it's going to have to be. Um, you know, when he looked at how he pitched in Charlotte, uh, you know, once he got his mechanics back, once he got past the, um, you know, the, the personal issue, uh, with the death in the family, uh, that also threw off his, uh, season a little bit. Once he got back into his groove and was just, you know, pounding the strike zone with his stuff, you know, throwing that slider, there's just nothing for him. He's toying with those hitters. And so, you know, he should take advantage of the jump in level to see, you know, what his weaknesses are and allow hitters to show him what his weaknesses are. And, you know, best case scenario is that his fastball and slider are that good, like Carlos Rodon good, to where his biggest problems are maybe losing the strike zone once in a while and not being as efficient as can be and, and tuning it up from there, you know, versus needing a changeup, um, which, you know, Rodon really didn't need, but now has. Yeah, the changeup is something that Kopech will eventually need, but that's something he could work on in spring training. I, I I agree with you, Jim. I don't think the White Sox should get cute as far as pitching strategy because watching those starts for Kopech, it's mainly been, I would say, at least 75% of the pitches he's throwing are fastballs, followed up with about 20% of a curve or slider, depending on right, uh, handiness of the batter. He'll throw the slider far more against lefties and then the curve against the righties. And then 5% change-ups just as a show-me pitch that, yeah, I threw it in the game. But a lot of it has been fastballs, and he's been doing a very good job as far as commanding that pitch in the last month, hitting the corners, elevating both high and low to full hitters and change the eye views because his curveball, his breaking pitches, it's a 12-6 to type of break, both on the slider and the curveball. So he needs those batters to think fastball when they're expecting a 99 mile per hour fastball and it breaks when it hits 50 feet. Uh, you got no chance uh, against that breaking pitch, even though I, I think Dylan Cease in the White Sox system has a better breaking ball than Michael Kopech does. It's just the type of velocity uh, that Kopech is able to get off his fastball, at least perceived velocity, right? Because he's 6'6, he's a big dude. Uh, mm-hmm. If I were the White Sox, I would not. I, I would not get cute. I'd say just continue to do what he's been doing in Charlotte and see if it works against the Twins. If not, that's fine. This is what this is about. It's a rebuilding team. If he gets smacked around, then he can learn from it, work with Don Cooper, and be ready to go in his next start against the Detroit Tigers, which is his next probable start. Because after the game, manager Rick Renteria stated he's excited to see Kopech, but the team is going to stick with the five-man rotation. The White Sox haven't said who's being demoted, cut, or maybe traded because they may need that pitcher to help them on Monday's game in Minneapolis as it's one of the makeup games, if you remember, when the Twins and White Sox were snowed out in early April. So the timing of the announcement was in the middle of a game, Jim, the White Sox. When I found out it was 6 to nothing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no point in watching this game. But then they make the announcement, uh, and of course it sparks the rally, and the White Sox come back and win. That's why I think the White Sox came back and won on Sunday was because of the Michael Kopech announcement. Uh, but regardless, do you like how the White Sox announced the decision to call up Kopech in the middle of a game? I do. Um, you know, it's you know you had an opportunity with you know a good home crowd on a Sunday, and you had a 
I imagine a pretty good TV audience, given that Paul Canerco was sitting in with Hawk. You know, it's a Hawk broadcast, it's a Canerco broadcast. It's very special just in and of that. So, you know, if you're going to reward fans who are tuning in to a very bad team, a battle of two very bad teams, um, you may as well, you know, I guess reach as big an audience as possible uh, in a live setting. So, yeah, it was very cool. It It was cool to see the response at the park, and it was cool to see the White Sox rally from six nothing, uh, or maybe it was five nothing at the time, um, and and come back and win that game. Yeah, and while I, you know, you're joking a little bit that you know, he, he sparked that rally, I think uh, the way it worked out, it was nice to see you know the effort to make the team better uh, was tied very closely with the White Sox playing better. And I think ideally, you know, whether, you know, it's, you can't draw that, uh, direct a cause and effect, you know, that's the idea. Calling Kopech up makes the team better. So that was cool. Yeah. Big home runs from Avisil Garcia, Tim Anderson with the Apo Taco and Omar Neves. Omar Neves not only had the game tying home run, he also had the game winning hit later on as the White Sox won seven to six and Jace Fry looked good in the ninth inning. Uh, getting both Alex Gordon and Salvador Perez as the White Sox won that series uh, two games to one. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that series because there was a lot of baseball, a bad baseball that was played over the weekend. Uh, The White Sox pretty much had two good innings offensively in that series that allowed them to win win the two games. But alas, they they won the series and it was entertaining uh, as far as that comeback for the White Sox. Uh, But continue to stay on the conversation with Kopech. I mentioned that the White Sox haven't made the announcement on how Kopech fits in the roster for this upcoming Tuesday, because again, they're going to need somebody to help them out uh, to get through Monday's game as the White Sox, after they were done in Kansas City in very weird fashion, flew to Minneapolis. They're going to play that game on Monday in Minnesota. And then both teams are going to leave Minneapolis and fly to Chicago for two games in Chicago, Tuesday and Wednesday that was originally scheduled as a two game series. So let's play the guessing game, Jim. How do you think Rick Hahn will rearrange the deck chairs with the pitching rotation to make Michael Kopech fit? Unless there's a James Shields trade on the horizon, and I'm not sure, you know, there will be. I think probably Dylan Covey is the most realistic option. Um, Unless, you know, for, uh, you know, Reynaldo Lopez's struggles and, and, you know, the way he's pitched recently been uneven. Maybe they want to give him a breather. But I think when it comes to just... You know, rotation spot the rest of the season. If they are going five man, I think Covey would be the odd man out. And then, uh, not that he would be sent down. I think um, <laughs> I kind of gauge it by when when these uh, decision decisions happen. Who is the pitcher I always forget is in the bullpen, and that would be Tyler Danish. So I think that would be uh, he would mm-hmm. he might be the most likely to be sent down until September. Um, but it really could come down to you know whether Giolito has a good start or you know whether they need a dip in the bullpen. Who is um, you know, maybe you say Gilito has a rough start and Danish can, you know, has to pick up two to three innings and won't be available for a couple of days. Maybe they send him down, you know, that could be that situation, maybe somebody else. Um, but yeah, I would guess that he would be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, uh, if it were Danish against the field, I would bet on the field, but if I had to pick one person it might be him. That's actually, I didn't even think about Tyler Danish because as you mentioned, play the game, who's the guy that you're not remembering that's in the bullpen, and Tyler Danish is that guy for me. (laughs) (laughs) So great call, Jim. (laughs) I I think that is the most likely, where we'll see Danish pitch on Monday, but then he will join the Charlotte Knights on Tuesday as Michael Kopech joins the Chicago White Sox. I think that's that's a clean maneuver. And then we'll see Dylan Covey, who did pitch well on Saturday, but again, it's against the worst offense against the Kansas City Royals. I wouldn't take too much away from that start, but he did pitch well against a bad team. So you you have to give him props for doing that. Uh, And then we'll see how Dylan Covey does out of the bullpen. I think he's got a chance, especially with the stuff that he has. Okay, so that's Michael Kopech. We're all excited. Yes, Finally, he's joining the Chicago White Sox. Naturally, the next question is, what about Eloy Jimenez? How does Eloy Jimenez now get called up to the White Sox, Jim, if he does? Well, I think they're going to be separate days <laughs> just because, you know, with all the excitement of Kopech coming up, people buying tickets for that, they're going to want to create the same experience uh, for Jimenez. And, uh, you know, looking at the schedule and it's not loading for me. Let's go. There you go. So, yeah, it seems like, you know, if 
the twins are out of it, you know, like say, uh, you know, Tuesday's taken, spoken for with uh, Kopech. Uh, then Wednesday's a day game, getaway day. You know, it seems like maybe the 30th against the Red Sox when they're finally home might be the most realistic option or unless they wait until September 1st, which is a um, Saturday. Um, you know, maybe they wait for that in order to expand the roster so it costs nobody a spot. But if they're looking for the same kind of... Uh, want everybody to buy tickets to see Jimenez play his first ever game for the White Sox, I think they would have to wait for that kind of home game. So if they decide to call him before September, how is that roster shuffle going to work? Well, you know, with the season ending, um, with Charlotte's season, they can send, it, it makes more sense to send somebody down for five days than put somebody on the DL for 10 days because as soon as the minor league season is over, you know, you have to worry about the 10 day minimum for a minor league stay. You can just send them back up. So I think that would probably be the case if it were that late, if they're trying to do it like within this period where, um, you know, say the next 10 days and they want to do it on the early side, like maybe say if they didn't want to go for that Wednesday day game, then it would probably maybe putting Avi Garcia on the DL just because he does have that knee issue, um, giving him a little bit of a breather, um, I guess not having to worry about uh, selective running and, and you know managing the injury. Maybe that might be the easiest way to do it without sending a guy like Daniel Polka down. But I imagine when it comes to the 30th, 31st, if they wanted to not wait for rosters to expand, it would just be um, sending Polka down for basically three days. Yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I, I agree with you that it makes sense to explore the idea that if they do want to call him up before September 1st uh, to put Avi on the DL, uh, according to, and this is earlier from the week, that Avisil Garcia is being bothered by a sore knee. And uh, this was through as far as the, the press wires, is that Avisil Garcia is expected to go undergo arthroscopic knee surgery after the season and obviously he's had knee and hamstring issues all year long and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Avi's knee in our next segment when we talk about Rick Renteria uh, but it, it, this is how I look at it Jim and you know how fans have been saying well this is a lost season so don't call up Eloy Jimenez during a lost season uh, this is a lost season don't have Avi compound a injury that he's currently dealing with right now uh, to make matters worse especially if you have any aspiration that you want Avi traded in the offseason because I can tell you this no team's going to trade for Avi in the offseason if he's going through knee surgery I, I look at it in the sense that if Avi really needs this then I say shut him down for the rest of the year he got some at bats in so it's 2018 is not a complete loss for him and then you're going to have Eloy Jimenez take his spot. Avi goes in the DL, and maybe he gets that surgery a little bit earlier, gives himself some time to rehab and rest and be ready to go when spring training comes around in 2019. That's how I would do it if I was the general manager of the Chicago White Sox, and I would make that move after Monday's game. I don't think it's that big of a concern just because we've seen it in previous years. David Robertson got his knee cleaned out after the season. Tyler Flowers got his knee cleaned out the end of a season. I think that, you know, it's kind of like the NHL playoffs when you, uh, you know, after a team is eliminated, you know, and they never reveal their injuries. Then you hear a bunch of guys, what they're playing through, what they're undergoing surgery for. And I think baseball is the same thing where everybody's playing through stuff and some things will need to be surgically addressed, but um, and in the case of Robertson, he could he could pitch with it. I think he pitched better once it was done, but uh, it wasn't worth missing the rest of the season. I think Flowers, same thing. Just you know, it's something ball players go through. So I think Avi, assuming he can't make it worse, assuming that the surgery is going to be no worse um, in you know say October fifth versus September fifth. Um, yeah, I, I think just have him around for the depth. Have yeah, because the White Sox you know don't have a lot of uh, outfield depth uh, and, and power depth. Um, at least, you know, when you see him, you know, he, he's looked a little rough, but then you see him have a uh, hit a three-run homer and pull the ball the way he's never pulled the ball before. And, and given that he's shown the ability to turn on stuff, I really don't want to see him lose that. So I'm inclined to let him play the rest of the way, assuming that it won't turn a, you know, regular one-month recovery into, like, say, a season delayer. Nothing is easy, though, with Avi. No, but, I mean, it just seems like, you know, this kind of arthroscopic surgery is just fairly routine. Well, it'd make it a lot easier 
<laughs> well, I should, okay. We're, it's routine right now, but let's go into our next topic because I feel like Rick Renteria is going to make this worse. Uh, this was going to be originally what we we're going to lead the podcast with until the White Sox decided that they made the announcement and call it Michael Kopech. And that is Rick Renteria's philosophy on managing baseball games and managing a team as there are two red flags that came out of this week. Benching Avisil Garcia for not hustling and requiring players to bunt with two strikes. Let's start with the not hustling again. And Jim, we learned after Friday's game again, Avi, we just talked about, will need offseason surgery to repair his knee. And when Renteria was asked about this from the media, Renteria said, you just manage it. It's not going to get any worse. It won't get any better. Like most athletes, when you have a nagging issue in the body, you deal the best that you possibly can with it. So he benches Avi because he's got a knee injury and Avi is not hustling as hard as Renteria does, wants him to. But on Sunday, Nikki Monaco hits a broken bat grounded at a shortstop and doesn't even run to first base, but he gets to stay in the game. Why is Renteria being this way with Avi, but being selective still on who he benches? Well, with the Delmonico one, he just lost track of the ball completely. His eyes looked like um, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport when he gets the sand in his eyes. Just a bat broke, his eyes uh, got saucer-like, and he was trying desperately to locate. He looked up, he looked left, he looked right, and then finally saw that it was a, a ground ball. And then by the time... Uh, you know, he started moving, it was too late, but it was, you know, it's the kind of play that's weird and, you know, funny. And I think it was treated as such, but yeah, coming right after the, the Avi thing, which I still don't understand, like he wasn't going to get thrown at first. If the ball was dropped, he, you know, he couldn't really advance further with Davidson in front of him. I had, it still baffles me and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad they didn't bench Delmonico because it would just made it more absurd, but it does speak to the. Uh, you know, this, you know, selectivity of Renteria's benchings. And, you know, I didn't really care for it too, that, you know, it turns into a two-day discussion because, you know, first of all, yeah, Benetti and Stone kind of assuming that he didn't hustle, they didn't show the play at all. That's the one thing I would have liked to see on the broadcast is that, you know, when they talked about his first inning at bat, they didn't show it. You know, they didn't have an ISO cam on, you know, Avi running down the line to see exactly what he did. They just took Renneria's word for it. And then, you know, they kind of scold him for not running, even though it looked like it was a, you know, acceptable, minimal effort. And then the next day, you know, same discussion, how, you know, it's, uh, you know, he expects everybody to hustle and which is, you know, uh, a good idea in theory, but as we've seen is you know, not exactly true. <laughs> Some players do take it easy and it's a long season and rightfully so. They, they, they shouldn't be busting every single bad especially when they're managing injuries so it's just uh you know it's not a yeah it's not a fun thing to talk about it's not a fun thing to hear about and it just seems like it's unfair especially when it's you know, applied once a month to one guy and then you have to hear about it for two days when i still don't know what he's doing wrong i just i don't think this is good i i don't and it, no, it, fe- it feeds fan. into the second thing which is bunting with two strikes. And what Renteria had to say about this is that these are the tests we put all our men through because the situation is demanding it of them. If he's able to get it down, slow the game down enough to do his job there, he'll be able to slow the game down and do it when it's really, really important, which could be a playoff game. It could be a wild card game. It could be a postseason game. You can't expect if you're not going to do it here that you're going to expect him to do it there. All these guys need to be able to do that. I swear to God, if the White Sox make it to the postseason and Rick Renteria has a player trying to bunt over the catcher with nobody out to second base, I will lose my mind. Jim, here's my final opinion on the whole bunting thing. And this stems from Adam Engel striking out because he was still required to stupidly try to lay down a bunt with two strikes is that it's fine if Rick Renteria wants to put players through tests to work on development, but that's a job for a minor league manager in a minor league game. And I just have a feeling with the whole benching players for not hustling, quote unquote, and putting them through these tests that this is a bad practice that is just going to continue, especially in the bunting thing, uh, when the White Sox are expected to be good. Yeah, it's not a good one-two combo. Um, you know, maybe if one of the things happen, then you can just say that, yeah, he's being Renteria. But it does come off as, you know, um, 
not amateurish, but like you, like you said, developmental, like you should be in a ball or something like that, you know, working on coaching guys through bunting and where outs don't matter. And, you know, the, the frustrating, you mentioned bunting a catcher to second and also that, you know, angle is grounded in two double plays in his entire major league career. So right. like worst case scenario, making two outs in one play, probably not going to happen. So you may as well have him, you know, swing away. So it just seems like, you know, when you mention that, you know, need to have angle bunt with two strikes, well, it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, when, with Renteria, it's like, you know, he's kind of lost the benefit of the doubt and to the point where just like, okay, well, you know, as a fan, as somebody, um, you know, trying to analyze decisions, it's like, I guess I would like to see the equivalent of the two-strike button theory with Renteria's decision-making. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just, you know, prove to me that you can do it when it matters. Prove to me that you have the right priorities when you know, uh, when games and wins start mattering. And right now it's, seems like he's just very far afield. And, and um, yeah, it's it's kind of like, I guess, Robin Ventura and the, you know, I guess, first year managing in September where he got the expanded rosters in September and just lost the sense of who was actually deserving of big moments. And he had like Lace and Septimo pitching in high leverage situations because he just, you know, lost track of who was deserving on the 25 minute roster. And it kind of gives me the same feel watching Renteria here, just like he's, you know, random benchings and two strike bunting and kind of not being able to justify it and saying, yeah, he's hurt and he needs to manage it. But, but uh, also we don't want him managing it while I'm running hard. Just like nothing really lines up. And it seems like he could use an off season himself and, you know, maybe a conversation with the front office to kind of, I guess, reevaluate priorities. Like, I'm not, I guess I'm not throwing in, yeah, I'm not giving up on Renteria as a manager. I think that, um, you know, every, you know, managers can learn and such. And, and you know, we've seen it with other guys like Buck Showalter, for instance, was somebody who had to learn uh, the finer points of managing and, and people managing. And I think other guys can do the same, but... I think when it comes to Renteria, I think, you know, an off season might help just to, uh, you know, have some discussions and, and try to figure out like, what are we doing here? And right. you know, what's really important. And I think he's just kind of lost that. And maybe just uh, when you have a hundred something lost season and all this turnover, maybe you do lose perspective on what exactly his role is. Do you feel differently about Rick Renteria and his ability to be a successful manager than you did at the beginning of this season? I do, but I was kind of preparing for it. I, I wrote a column for The Athletic about just saying that, you know, the honeymoon period lasted a surprisingly long time. And I imagine this year would be the year that doubts creeped in. So I was kind of preparing for it. But yeah, I did, you know, the bunting is, is distressing, especially since it seemed like at the end of last year, he was really only having angle bunt and angle was hitting it like a pitcher at the time. So, you know, those bunts that he called for him seemed justified and he was kind of hands off and, uh, they were playing exciting, so I kind of thought that the worst of his in-game management was behind him, and for some reason it's come back and it's kind of doubled in strength, and now with this benching stuff, it just, yeah, it seems like he just kind of needs to reevaluate priorities. Yeah, I just don't find it to be smart baseball. I understand that he wants to put through guys' tests, but again, go be the manager that wins the Salem Dash. Like, if you want to do that, I think that's a better job for you. In the major leagues... Man, don't bunt your catcher over to second base when there's nobody out. Let the guy swing, especially if he's already two for two on the day. And if he does hit a ground ball, as you mentioned, Jim, you gotta, he's got to know that. Like, Adam Engel is incredibly difficult to double up. And you'd probably rather have Adam Engel at first base than Kevin Smith at first base. And that's exactly what happened. I just, It's just not smart baseball. And I think that's what the White Sox... Need to learn in the major league level. Play smart baseball. Play good baseball. And it just hasn't been that way. And I don't know. I like to see some changes from Renteria. Or or it's just going to get louder. You can already hear now from fans on social media, Jim. People are like, Omar Vizquel. You know, he could be manager. <laughs> it's, it's that wait quick. For, wait for P.O. Sox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Omar's managerial style. Uh, I hope you like people running. They run wild in Winston-Salem. It does not matter who you are. All right. So that's our two big topics, Kopech and Renteria. So let's quickly preview the upcoming series against the Minnesota Twins on Monday in Minneapolis. Again, this is a 6, 10 p.m. Central time start. It is Lucas Giolito against Steven Gonzalez. Gonzalez. And Gonzalez is the Twins' fifth-ranked 
prospects. So the Twins have made a big prospect announcement. And for a starting pitcher, he'll be making that start on Monday, Tuesday, 7.10 p.m. Central Time. It is Michael Kopech against Jose Breos. I hope he's not looking for offensive support because it's been a rough time for the White Sox against Jose Breos. And on Wednesday, getaway day for the White Sox, they head to a four-game weekend series against the Detroit Tigers. This is at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. It is Carlos Rodon against Kyle Gibson, which Gibson has been pitching much better as of late. Jim, the White Sox are 9-8 and eight in the month of August. Will they still remain above 500 for the month after this series? I don't know. This is kind of a tough assignment for them because Gibson usually handles them. Barrios usually looks great. So, um, and then, you know, Gonzalez, left-handed pitcher, doesn't throw hard. You know, that usually <laughs> requires the White Sox to have a couple turns against them to figure them out. So it doesn't seem like it's a great matchup on paper, but yeah, I'm just hoping for, you know, Kopech is going to be the star of it. And so I think uh, I would count on maybe them being 500 by the end of the, um, by the end of this you know, three game set. I think that the twins have their own problems and that, uh, yeah, both teams will find a way to kind of stumble over themselves and, you know, Sox should be able to take one, but no, it's a tough three game set. And, uh, hopefully, you know, Giolito picks up where he left off. Like when he, you know, throwing that good curveball uh, that he had, um, you know, having that good three pitch mix, a lot of movement on his two seamer. It seems like I just want to see Giolito have like a reliable, way to get guys out so he doesn't have to do so much guessing <laughs> at the start of a game. And then, uh, yeah, and Kopech Rodon, I mean, should be fun to watch from the pitching side. Yeah, the Minnesota Twins, they've been playing better baseball as of late. They have won six of their last 10 games. They're 59-64, and 64, so they're just five games below 500. So for them, especially with Miguel Sano playing better baseball, uh, the Twins have a shot of getting back to 500. That's what they're playing for is to avoid a losing season after making the postseason last year, but they're 12 games behind the Cleveland Indians right now in the American League Central. And with Trevor Bauer out for a possible four to six weeks, man, I'm the Twins have to be kicking themselves that if they were just playing a little bit better, if they were 64 and 59, and with Bauer out for that long, that that give you at least a glimpse of hope of maybe catching the Indians in the division. But alas. But Jim, the White Sox are only four games back of Detroit for third place. Could happen, man. It can happen. It could yeah. happen. And that will enrage some White Sox fans demanding that the team should tank for better draft position. We're ready. We've been fighting lots of battles on many hills. We are ready for that battle <laughs> as well. As one battle is done, Michael Kopech is called up. We'll see what the White Sox do with Eloy Jimenez. But coming up next on the Sox Machine podcast, we do speak with one of the White Sox prospects it's outfielder from the Birmingham Barons Alex Call next on the Sox Machine podcast before we speak with Alex Call a quick word from our sponsor SeatGeek football is back and SeatGeek is the smartest easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long whether you're searching for a last minute deal plan a night out with friends or need to find the perfect gift SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices Fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts, comedy, and theater too. I use SeatGeek all of the time, and you bet I use SeatGeek to grab some tickets for Tuesday's home debut for Michael Kopech. It was really easy to find a great deal. I just went to the SeatGeek app on my smartphone, filtered out how much I wanted to spend on tickets, where I wanted to sit in the stadium, and I was able to quickly get tickets within five minutes with the fees included, be able to use my phone to gain access into the stadium. I don't need to print the tickets. SeatGeek is a breeze to find tickets right away, especially when you have special events or special games like Michael Kopech's first start. And if you're still searching for tickets for that home start or upcoming starts for Michael Kopech or Carlos Rodon or maybe a possible Ayla Jimenez debut, 
Download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and you can save $20 off your first purchase by using our promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Again, that's promo code SOCKSMACHINE after you download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone to save $20 off on your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. Now join us on the Sox Machine Podcast as Birmingham Barons outfielder, Alex Call. And hello, Alex. Thanks for taking the time to join the show. Yeah, no problem, Josh. Thanks for having me. You're having a nice bounce-back season in 2018, Alex. Strong first half in Winston-Salem. And since you joined the Barons, where we've been told it's a more difficult level to hit at, uh, you're doing better. You're rocking an 873 OPS as we're recording this. How do you feel your season is going? Uh, yeah, I mean, the first, I mean, the first thing is it's just nice to be able to play, um, for the whole entire season. I mean, last year was extremely frustrating, um, and kind of, you know, not obviously what you want, uh, to start off your first full year. Um, so just being able to play every day, um, you know, starting in Winston, kind of playing three out of four days, um, and now kind of getting a chance to play pretty much every day um it's it's just been great um it's really been nice to kind of go through the the ups and downs of a full season um and know that there's going to be highs and lows and just being able to experience them instead of just kind of having a a long low of downtime when you're on the dl um you know so i i feel uh pretty good about where i'm at um i'm really uh just having fun playing ball and preparing every day now you mentioned as far as what you had to go through last year. You only got a chance to play in 38 games. What was that experience like rehabbing to rehab all the way back to where you are today? And are there any lessons that you've learned during that process? Yeah, I mean, when you think about, uh, you know, all that time missed, um, it was basically just waiting and waiting and waiting and kind of seeing how your body responds because it's kind of like – for some people, it takes a week, and for me, it just took forever, and it wouldn't uh, kind of go away. But, um, you know, from that point on, you know, I kind of had to re- hit the reset button and try to figure everything out again and wasn't really able to do a very good job of it. Um, and then kind of coming into this season, I had, you know, I did okay at, the, at Winston, um, but really um, just being able to play every day take your swings and kind of go through the lows and the highs. Uh, by the time I got to Birmingham and started off a little bit slow, um, you know, had to make a little bit of an adjustment um, in kind of what I was doing at the plate. And because I remember vividly, it was a series against Chattanooga. They just kept flipping and breaking balls and breaking balls. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, they were good pitches to hit because sometimes that's the best pitch you're going to get to hit, especially at this level, is a, is a breaking ball to the plate. And I was ready to hit them, but it's like I wasn't quite in, the, in a good enough position to pull the trigger. And so kind of made a, a few adjustments and took me a few games to get my timing back. And then, bang, I started rolling. Um, and just being able to go throughout the entire season of April into May, June, July. I mean, I feel like I really didn't hit my stride until July and that's already three months into the season. And then you still have, it's like, man, I've been at this forever, but then it's like, Oh wait, I still have all of July and August and into September to go. And so you can really uh, turn it on and finish strong. And um, that's been the greatest thing is knowing that, you know, it's, it's so easy to kind of, uh, get caught up in everything you're doing and kind of your, your recent struggles or you want to be in a certain spot, but uh, letting it play out the course of a season is just, it's so nice to be able to do that and to be able to, to figure it out because um, there's going to be adjustments to be made. And when you make them, um, like I feel like I did, um, that's when you feel like you're, you're the player you can be. So what's been the difference in your experience in 2018 from playing a ball in Winston-Salem and making the jump to double A with Birmingham. Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, obviously, the, these are all professional players, but I noticed definitely at double A, the game is a lot cleaner, um, and the there's a lot more refined ability to control that breaking ball for a strike, versus in high A, you can basically um, get the fastball, and, and if you see the off-speed, you can basically just spit on it, because most of the time, it's not going to be a strike for three times um, in and at bat. And here, it was definitely different. Guys were throwing that breaking ball early in counts, 
behind accounts, ahead accounts, and you got to be able to hit it. And I've always been able to hit it, but um, it's just you have to swing at it now because that might be the best pitch you're going to get. And so I know really when I'm going good is when I'm hitting that breaking ball hard. And um, so the level difference is, I would say, definitely a step up. But for me, I know that when I was in high to start the year, I didn't quite feel like I was at that level where I could hit that breaking ball really hard. And once I made that adjustment kind of up here, um, now I'm I'm ready for the fastball every pitch. But if that breaking ball is hanging in there, I'm ready to snag it. And um, that's, that's when I know I'm at my best. Launch angle and exit velocity. We like to talk about those numbers because as fans watching the game, it's fun to see those types of numbers. For you as a hitter, is this something that you take in consideration as far as when you're working on your swing? Are you concerned with trying to get more angle on your contact with the ball and try to hit it harder or try to produce more exit velocity? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I always look at, I wish I had more access to the numbers. Uh, I think they're very important, but they, they definitely go hand in hand um, because if you're hitting the ball extremely hard, but your you know launch angle is negative, I mean, that's not going to get you a lot of, um, that's not going to do much for your slugging percentage. Um, and, you know, I definitely am in tune with kind of today's game and how it's, it's kind of changing to more the analytics side. And, you know, I, I definitely am conscious of it. And the most important thing being getting that consistent barrel contact um, on all the pitches really. Um, and obviously when you're feeling your greatest, you're getting that, that, uh, you know, 10 to 20 to 25 degree launch, um, on your, on your balls that you hit hard, then you know, you're in the right spot. And, uh, so it's nice to have that information, that feedback. Uh, we don't always get it, but it's nice to be able to check out the video, uh, check out the video. And, uh, sometimes <clears throat> I'll try and get a little bit of information or sometimes it leaks somewhere. And it's just kind of nice to know because, a lot of times you hit the ball really hard and you're out and it's like, okay, well I'm all for one, but you know, I just absolutely smoked that ball. And when you get that positive reinforced back of, Oh yeah, I hit that ball over a hundred miles an hour. I mean, I can't do anything better. Um, so it's just kind of that extra little thing. Um, and when you're working on your swing, I mean, you don't necessarily, you, you put your swing in work, you work on it throughout the year so you can have those kind of positive launch angle results. But, it's not necessarily something that you're overanalyzing because um, there's a lot of things that go into it. And, um, you know, I guess I'll just leave it at that, but uh, I definitely like to, uh, to, to take those into account. So do you think that's been the biggest significant impact because you are slugging at a much higher rate since you joined the Barons? I mean, you're almost slugging 500 in the second half since you've been with Birmingham. And, and I know that has been eye opening for us in Chicago following the White Sox prospects in the sense of, holy cow, has everyone noticed that Alex calls slugging 500? It, do you contribute that success, or is there something else going on where you're able to hit for more power since you've joined the Barons? Yeah, no, it's it, it's just me being, honestly, me, like where I truly believe I can be as a player. And, I mean, I think that my first half was not really truly um my best half i'm i'm very glad that the white Sox promoted me i'm very thankful to be here in birmingham and i'm very uh happy to be able to hit my stride here because like i just talked about with the long flows of the season i got into july and i really wasn't happy with kind of how i was playing because the you know the, the doubles weren't there you know things like that and all of a sudden you you hit this stride adjust or you, you make this uh, adjustment in your swing and it all kind of comes out uh, better. You start hitting the ball harder, um, more consistently. Um, and it's not really anything that I've done too much different with my swing, but just the fact that that complete solid contact um, kind of produces the, the higher sluggy percentage. Um, and once I was able to kind of hit my stride, it's, it's really, um, it's, it's really kind of taken off and, um, I definitely feel like this is more the indicator of a player that I am versus kind of when I was in Winston. Defensively, you've been moving around this year in the outfield. And I think the current alignment with you, Basabe, and Booker in Birmingham is a good defensive unit. 
which of the outfield spots do you feel most comfortable playing in? Well, I definitely um, like playing center the most because you get the best angle. It's That's where you get the best reads. Um, you're kind of in control of the outfield, moving them around um, where you think uh, they, they need to be playing. Um, but I'm definitely comfortable pretty much you know everywhere. I mean, I've played a ton of right. I've played left. I played center. Um, it doesn't really matter to me. Obviously, when you think of kind of profiling players, I'd like to profile as a center fielder. I know I know I can play center field, um, but you know those are the things that I don't always get to control, especially when you have a plethora of uh, center fielders, some some great players, and um, you know so it's it's something that I'm comfortable everywhere. Um, but I'm just thankful my name's in the lineup. Last question, Alex. Obviously, there's just a few weeks remaining in this season what are you hoping to accomplish in the remaining weeks of 2018 last couple weeks you're focused on finishing strong i mean it's been uh it's been a long season i've enjoyed every moment of it um it's it's so much fun to come to the park and play hard every day um i love i love being able to do that and so finishing strong um continuing with um, hard, hard barrel contact. That's what I'm focused on. That's what I'm locked in on, um, as well as playing good defense, being a good teammate. Um, those things are um, of the utmost importance to me. And just being able to show that um, I can, I can do that. I can hit the ball hard here at this level. I can get on base, and uh, you know, hopefully keep slugging. Um, those are the, those are the goals for me. Um, the, whether it's uh, the end of the season, beginning of the season. Um, you just kind of stay focused on the process, working hard, and understand that the results are going to be there at the end of the day. Um, and so that's definitely what I'm focused on. Well, Alex, I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Best of luck in the last remaining weeks of the season. And for the White Sox fans that make the yearly journey all the way down in Glendale to see you guys in spring training, we can't wait to see what you have uh, to show us in 2019. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. A quick word from our sponsor, RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. What does that mean? Our bars are made with real whole ingredients, and we want to be transparent and upfront with our customers, which is why we label the core ingredients like egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front of the package and the flavor components on the back. Beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX bars actually taste delicious. We found creating a bar from real whole food ingredients actually tastes better than anything out there. We don't need the fillers, the chemicals, or the added sugar. How do we start? In 2013, we called BS on the protein bars, and we couldn't find a bar out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients, fillers, preservatives, and just general BS. That's why we set out to create a new bar with a few simple, clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose. RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. They're great for a number of occasions, breakfast on the go, snack at the office. You can throw it in your bag when you're hopping on the airplane or use it as a pre- or post-workout snack. And RX bars come in 14 delicious flavors. So whether you're a savory person or you like your sweets, they definitely have a flavor for you. Also, RX Bar has debuted a new RX Nut Butter, which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites, fruits, and nuts. And each single serve packet contains delicious creamy nut butter with 9 grams of high quality protein. And those flavors are honey cinnamon peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. And I love RX Bars. I've mentioned them in the previous in the season that I love the blueberry flavor because I'm a big blueberry guy and I love having a blueberry RX bar for breakfast and my sweet tooth always kicks in around three o'clock when I'm in the office and the chocolate sea salt is my go-to when I have the sweet tooth kicking in. It really helps and it's a lot better than buying a candy bar or getting ice cream or or anything like that. And for our listeners of the Sox Machine podcast, for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash socks. Again, that's rxbar.com slash socks. And when you enter promo code socks at checkout, you get 25% off your first order. So again, visit rxbar.com slash socks and discover why RX bars are delicious and great for you. Welcome to the Meyer League Report, which is suddenly Michael Kopech free. 
With Kopech getting the call to the club to start against the Twins on Tuesday, Eloy Jimenez is the last star standing in Charlotte. He's still the same Eloy we know and love, hitting 336 despite being in a little bit of a lull in August. Right now, my eyes are on the bullpen, as Ian Hamilton, Ryan Burr, and Caleb Frere are all jockeying for September consideration, and all are throwing the ball well. Burr gave up his first earned run for Charlotte in his seventh game on Sunday, but he's otherwise been tough to touch in AAA. Hamilton looks like a closer in waiting, and Frere has impressed since coming over to the Sox in a trade with the Yankees. He's yet to be scored upon in seven outings and eight and two-thirds innings, and his last four outings have been hitless. In Birmingham, Cody Medeiros delivered his first strong start in the White Sox organization, throwing eight innings of one-run ball on Saturday, yielding five hits and three walks while striking out three. Luis Basabe is also on an upswing after a sluggish start to his August, hiking his month's OPS to 800 after his fourth consecutive multi-hit game on Sunday. The Barons' offense has been less than the sum of his parts, though, perhaps because they lead the Southern League in strikeouts, with 32 more than the next team. Winston-Salem continues to lead the White Sox farm system in fun. They swept a doubleheader against Wilmington to run their record to 75-48 on the season, and Yermin Mercedes delivered the walk-off hit in both games. He homered twice in the opener, then delivered the game-winning single in the nightcap. He's not a great catcher, and he's old for the level due to being stuck behind Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala, but he's been a big part of the Dash's success, hitting 294 with a 370 OBP and 486 slugging. Luis Gonzalez also had a big weekend, delivering a pair of three-hit games against Wilmington to raise his average to 325 and his OPS to 919. Kannapolis is clinging to a postseason position, with its lead over West Virginia for the second spot in the Sally League's Northern Division getting whittled down to two and a half games, thanks to a 3-7 record over their last 10. With all of the Intimidator's first half stars getting a boost to Winston-Salem, Steel Walker is really the one guy to watch in the canny lineup, and his A-ball career is off to a quiet start, batting 208 over his first 15 games, although he is 5 for 5 stealing bases. In Great Falls, keep an eye on Amado Nunez, who is starting to draw walks on a semi-regular basis, averaging one every three games in August. He's hitting 333 with an OPS that just dipped below 900 after an 0 for 5 game on Sunday, which ended a six-game hitting streak. He's also up to 23 extra base hits on the season, 17 of them doubles. 14th round pick Davis Martin, a max bonus day three signing out of Texas Tech, is starting to find a groove. Like the other Great Falls starters, he's on the three-inning plan, and he's only allowed a run on four hits and a walk over his last two outings, striking out eight. In the Arizona Rookie League, remember Sam Abbott, the eighth round pick in the 2017 draft, whom the Sox lured away from the water polo scholarship? His first full season has been a tough one, and also a weird one. He's currently in a 3-for-36 slump with 16 strikeouts, but all three hits have left the yard. He owns a share of the team lead in homers, tied with the rehabbing Tito Polo with three apiece. He also has a 361 OBP despite a 145 batting average, which is either the result of an above-average batting eye or wild rookie league pitchers and an inability to put the ball in play. Zach Birdie is rehabbing in the rookie league, and it's going well so far, with seven strikeouts and two walks over four and two-thirds innings. He's still building up arm strength, and the long game is the Arizona Fall League rather than any specific affiliate promotion, although he could give one of the playoff teams a boost. That'll do it for the Meyer League Report. Now let's answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, Get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine, or helping support the show and the website by signing up to become a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And I am rejoined with Jim Margulis to answer your guys' questions this week in P.O. Sox. And the first question, Jim, comes from our friend all the way down in New Zealand. It is Shane Harmon. And Shane is asking, since Josh's hot take on Nicky Delmonico, Nicky Delmonico has gone 4 for 11 with three runs, two home runs, and six RBIs. Keen to know who Jim thinks Josh should be targeting this week. <laughs> I think, you know, aside from, say, Yohan Mankata, because obvious reasons, I think I would probably stick with Delmonico. <laughs> you know, him or, him or Polka, I think it would be helpful if the Sox knew which one of those guys would be more cut out for the long haul, or at least, you know, kind of significant 
playing time for 2019 and potentially beyond that. And right now, I think it's still, you know, uh, as we're approaching the end of the fifth month, I think it's still kind of a dead heat. You have Palka with the, you know, massive carrying tool in his power, and you have Delmonico with the well-rounded approach. But, you know, so far, at least for most of the season, hasn't materialized since coming back from the disabled list. He is hitting the ball with more pop, getting the ball over the fence, um, and, and ripping the ball the way he did towards the end of last season. So... Uh, it would be nice to have just a better idea and not kind of be in the same territory we were last season where we thought like, oh, it might be interesting because as we've seen with Avi, you know, like it's kind of a similar deal where just, you know, at the end of it, you have these moments where he looks interesting. He looks interesting, but he's still not good yet. And it's been you know, year three or four. I think that's when it gets a little bit tough. So I would say stick with Delmonico just so we can have some kind of verdict one way or another. How about Matt Davidson? Matt Davidson would be an easy target. Yeah. Especially maybe if he can do that two-way player thing. Get behind him as a pitcher and some power production too. But I think when it comes to the outfield spot, the uh, you know, kind of the the future of the corner, outfield corner position, corner depth, I think um, the left-handed bats that don't strike out much and offer a little bit of something besides power. Uh, you know, Delmonico might be the best bet to kind of offer some more well-rounded skills. But... Part of this is my ability to make an ass out of myself, Jim, and rip on one of these guys. All I tweeted was I didn't know what Nicky Delmonico's value is to this White Sox rebuild. And as Shane alluded to, Delmonico has gotten hot since that tweet. And I have made fun of myself on Twitter in regards to that tweet. Uh, But I'm feeling that Matt Davidson could be an easy target because he hasn't done much since July 1st offensively. Yeah, you, you could, I mean, like that would be, I think he would be the most fitting target for uh, justifiable doubting. But I think it would also be fun for like five weeks in a row while Delmonico's raking, you just nace him every bit of the way. <laughs> All right, well, if it fuels him. <laughs> yeah, he's hitting three 320 with 20 homers. I still don't get what Delmonico does. I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> DFA him, trade him. Yeah. Anyways, great question, Shane. I'll think of somebody. Uh, if, if if ripping on Delmonico, if he goes back to his old ways where he's not hitting for power and he's not doing much, uh, then I'll have to pick another player, obviously, to see if the reverse jinx uh, is alive and true. But, Shane, thank you so much, man, and thank you for listening all the way down in New Zealand. Shout out to all of our – what is that area of the world called? New Zealand, Australia – I thought there was a name for it. Well, just the Southern Hemisphere, I would say. We That's don't... a lot of countries. Yep. But, you know, I, I, know we've, we've, I know we've taken, you know, like we've answered questions from Europe and Scandinavia and such. But we haven't uh, gone uh, on, the, on the other side of the equator. No, not yet. I don't think so. It's, well, it's breaking new ground in that regard. To all our friends in Australia and New Zealand, thank you guys so much for listening. And Shane, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Matt Hinckley. And Matt is asking, given the rules, who should the White Sox send to the Arizona Fall League? Good question, Matt. Well, you know, I was looking at the rules and, um, you know, there's some eligibility. Basically, you know, players from AA and AAA are available. Um, they can't have one player from below those levels. They can have a foreign player who doesn't have winter ball available in his homeland. So, like, there, you know, there are a bunch of different stipulations and such. The one thing I don't quite know is, you know, when it comes to eligibility, another rule is that, you know, the player has to be active within 45 days of the end of the season. So, like, a guy like Zach Birdie, um, you know, who's on technically he's on the Charlotte roster. Um, so he would qualify as a triple a player, but is he active while rehabbing in the Arizona rookie league? I don't know, but he would be like a prime candidate for those reps in uh, you know, the Arizona fall league because you know, he's making it for lost time. Um, you know, allows him to throw freely, stay in Arizona, perhaps if he doesn't join a playoff team and, you know, that would be a good use of his time. I think, you know, right now the, um, you know, and also when it comes to eligibility, like Al Hansen, he was on a double A roster as of August 1st, which is the rule. But then he was sent down to Winston-Salem to work. Does he count as a double A player? <laughs> like they have a bunch of weird roster situations to where I'm not quite sure how the rules work in that regard. But, you know, Al Hansen or Dane Dunning, given that they missed time uh, with injuries and such and assuming that Hansen isn't completely broken by the end of the year and just might need the time off, they would be candidates for getting those extra reps in the Arizona Fall League. 
any of the double A outfielders really, uh, Basabe, uh, Alex Call, Joel Booker, um, Danny Mendick, even he's an outfielder, but those those double A guys who, you know, especially when it comes to Mendick is potentially a 40-man roster addition if they want to give him some looks and kind of understand what they're dealing with, what they might be losing. If they expose him to the Rule 5 draft, maybe they send him down there to get some reps. And also, you know, Luis Robert. Um, you know, if they're going to use their A-ball player, um, I would like to see him. Yeah, I think that he's a natural fit, given that he does have above-average tools. Um, seems like he's handling Winston-Salem just fine. And I, I don't think, even if he is, you know, maybe the Arizona Fall League is a little bit over his head, um, I don't think it'll break him. I think it just, I think for him, given how many reps he missed during the regular season, that just any exposure, any outfield reps, it's all good. I like those two picks. I think a lot of baseball writers that cover the prospects in the Arizona Fall League would love the White Sox if they send Zach Birdie and Luis Robert to the Arizona Fall League because it gives them at least two top-tier prospects to follow. Obviously, Glaber Torres was able to use the Arizona Fall League as a launch pad to his very successful year. Maybe that could be the same thing that Zach Birdie and Luis Robert can do in the Arizona Fall League. Because, uh, again, Zach Birdie, it's great to see that he is having that type of success. But the early things that we are hearing from, from one of our friends of the podcast, Eric Loggenhagen, a Fangraphs who lives in the area, and he goes to the backfields and watch, uh, says that Birdie's velocity, his first time watching him, was really down. So it'll be great to see if those guys do. I think it'd be worthwhile, and we'll see if the White Sox send anybody else uh, to the Glendale Desert Dogs in the Arizona Fall League. But Matt, terrific question. Thank you so much. Our next question comes from Russell the Canine. And Russell's asking, Jim, who most likely takes James Shield's spot in the 2019 opening day rotation? Another well-past-his-prime acquisition or someone like Spencer Adams or Jordan Stevens? Any dark horse candidates? I think there will be a free agent signing along the way. You know, this, this rotation had both Shields and Miguel Gonzalez. Shields has worked out, you know, for serving the purpose. Gonzalez didn't, but uh, I don't think it's smart to have an all-prospect rotation or all-young pitcher rotation just because, you know, as we've seen in Charlotte, you know, it's even even when you're talking about teams with full prospects, they like having some veteran ballast in there, you know, a veteran who, you know, they can push. Uh, who you can you know maybe take a thumping um you know, kind of be pushed beyond normal uh you know like a like a normal hook and you know if even if his era suffers you know they don't have to worry about his confidence they don't have to worry about his whole uh you know world outlook being shaken by one bad outing like shields can take a beating like he can uh yeah that that's his skill that he brings to the team he you know can usually give the team six innings no matter if he has that one bad inning early on he bounces back so you know, it wouldn't surprise me necessarily if he came back in a deal um if they wanted somebody who can serve that purpose he knows the deal uh, i don't know if he'll get a an option elsewhere um to you know, like a better option where he gets starts and you know can offer a team that's closer contending innings so um i could see him bring brought back or you know if they go back to the um you know veteran well i haven't looked at the uh, list of free agents and <laughs> seeing how Tyler Chatwood panned out. It's like, I'm not feeling great about that right now, given that he was kind of my, f- although I like Chatwood on a one-year deal, not a three-year deal. Once I saw his price go up, I'm like, no, nope. <laughs> I'll pass on that. So I, I thought he's going to be kind of a buy low candidate and turns out that a lot of people thought the same way and his price went up and so forth. And so yeah, it was too rich for my blood, but yeah, there will be, I, I imagine there will have to be a signing just because, um, you know, guys get hurt, guys get you know, guys get shaken or, you know, you know, development isn't linear, have to go back down to the, the minors and, and kind of touch some things up. So imagine there could be four young pitchers and one veteran just to kind of keep things in line. Well, the bandwagon that I'm on for free agent would be Arizona starting pitcher Patrick Corbin, which Corbin missed all of 2014 because of injury. And then he came back to made 16 starts in 2015 And in 2018, he made the all-star team. He's got a 3.18 ERA. His FIP is 2.41. He's got 190 strikeouts to 37 walks in 155 and two-thirds innings. Clearly, this is a career year for Patrick Corbin. Uh, I'll be interested to see what his price tag is because I know that teams, I have a feeling around the league that people are not confident 
and how much longer Corbin can last. But that's my dark horse candidate that was suggested on Twitter. Uh, shoot, I'm sorry. I already forgot who suggested it. I thought it was a really good idea. And I am on that bandwagon. I am on the bandwagon of the White Sox approaching the Arizona Diamondbacks free agents and A.J. Pollock and Patrick Corbin. Well, that will do it for this week's P.O. Sox questions. Thank you guys so much for submitting questions this week. If you have a question or topic you'd like us to tackle on this show, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash machine and help support the show and the website by going to patreon.com slash machine to sign up to become a friend of the podcast. Every single week, our supporters get additional content. They got an opportunity to ask questions to Alex Call, which Alex was very grateful with his time and answer those questions. And our Patreon supporters get to ask additional P.O. Sox questions every single week in which they only get to listen to those answers from both our guests and those additional P.O. Sox questions. So if you like more content from us, or if you just want to help support us and what we are doing, uh, go to patreon.com slash socks machine uh, to sign up. And again, a uh, big shout out and thanks to Alex Call for taking the time to speak with us before the game uh, earlier this week from Birmingham. It was terrific to speak with him and learn from him on how he has adjusted to recovering from his injury and how he's using that trackman data. And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the podcast, you can subscribe in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes. You can subscribe via Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. Your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.